Hey, church, it's great to be back with you this week. I trust that uh, your week has gone well and that you've found uh, the joy of the Lord in every step that you've taken this week. Some time ago, a person asked me, how come God doesn't always answer prayer? I listened to their frustration and their dilemma and how they had been praying for a certain thing for quite some time, and there just didn't seem to be any answers coming. And so I finally was able to express to them that sometimes God answers prayer with yes, no, and wait. And so building on last week's message with this idea that it is what it is, God is sovereign, uh, we just have to accept what comes into our life, that God knows about it and that he's at work behind the scenes, I want to talk to you today about prayer. And I want to talk to you about how in God's sovereignty, prayer is a very powerful thing as it uh, helps us walk through our journey with him in understanding his will and his way in our life. I came across a song by Garth Brooks the other day that I thought was quite interesting and kind of led into what I wanted to share with you today. Let me read his lyrics for you. He says, just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old school flame. And as I introduced them to uh, the past came back to me and I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one I wanted all for all time. And each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if only he'd grant me this wish, back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, that just because he doesn't always answer doesn't mean he don't care, because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. She wasn't quite the angel that I had remembered in my dreams, and I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes too, it seemed. We tried to talk about the old days. There wasn't much that we could recall. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing, after all. And as she walked away, well, I looked at my wife, and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he may not answer doesn't mean he don't care. Because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are all too often unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. You may be experiencing a yes, a no, or a wait in God's economy. And as we come to Acts chapter 12 today, verses 12 to 19, we'll get a glimpse of that concept that God is at work. And yes, he does sometimes say, no, it's not my will for you. He does sometimes say, wait, it will come to pass. But he also says, yes, and he also answers our prayers. So let me read for you Acts 12, 12 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial. After the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, now listen to this, but the church was earnestly praying for him. 
The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up and said, Quick, get up! He said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly an angel appeared to him. And then Peter said to himself, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Verse 15, you're out of their mind. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when the, they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had, thorough, had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. As we approach this text for today, we see a group of people who are at a crossroads in their spiritual life. A prophecy had been made prior regarding an upcoming famine. There was already anxiety in the air. There was already tension due to the fact that something horrible was going to be coming upon them. In Acts 11.28, it says, One of them, named Agabus, stood up through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would be spread over the entire Roman world. And we know from historical research that this happened um, during the reign of Claudius. In verse 12.1, we read the church had experienced much persecution. Listen as I read this. It was about this time that Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So there was this, this uh, persecution that was happening across the church. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So it wasn't just some uh, crazy ruler threatening. He was actually doing killing. And they were simply put in a place where they had to trust God. And what do we find them doing? We find them doing three things. We find them offering specific prayer. We find them slipping in their faith. And we find in the end, God producing significant results. So let's look first of all at the specific prayer. To recap what has taken place, as I've read already, James had been put to death with a sword because of his faith in Christ Jesus which incidentally greatly pleased the Jews. Verse 3 says, Because of their agreement to his death, Herod, wanting to receive more of their favor, arrested Peter and was going to put him to death as well. So James was murdered, 
And now Peter became also an opportunity for Herod to uh, blow up his name in front of the people to make himself look good. Herod didn't want to do this as a matter of justice for the Jews. He wanted to do it to build his own ego. He was a ruthless leader who sought always to make himself look good at every opportunity before the Jewish nation. That's why he had James murdered and why he was about to do the same thing to Peter. Yet, because of this time of year, the Days of Unleavened Bread, a very special time for the Jewish people, he put him in prison to await the conclusion of the festival. And then, of course, he was going to kill him. Note how well-guarded Peter was. In verse 4, it says, four squads of soldiers. That's 16 soldiers. Verse 6 says, two by his side that were chained to him by two chains. Verse 10 there were guards at the front of his door, and then guards at the front of the prison stations. You see, they weren't taking any chances. Peter had been jailed once before and had mysteriously disappeared. In verse uh, chapter 5, 18, it says, They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So no chances are being taken here. He was bound up really tight, and it was absolutely impossible for him to escape. But wait, we see these words that are so powerful for us today. It says in verse 5, but prayer. But prayer. There were those in the faith who knew of his imprisonment. And they were praying for him. They were offering up specific prayers. And no doubt they were saying, Lord, have mercy, release him, uh, spare his life, bring him back to us. And the text tells us from the NIV anyway, at least, that it was an intense, fervent praying. They were asking God to intervene and save the life of, save the life of this dear beloved brother in Christ, Peter. They were praying fervent, specific prayers. They were asking God for a miracle. You know, the worst can come into our life, totally disrupt us, totally build fear and anxiety if we're not careful. But those words are powerful. But prayer. There comes a time in our life where we must be prepared to pray with intense strain. It may be a time of personal crisis in our own life. It may be a time of personal crisis for someone else who is in deep need of prayer support. And in this case, it was for a dear brother who had been arrested and threatened to die. And if we just stop and think about how many believers around the world today are imprisoned, incarcerated for some reason because of their faith in countries that don't support Christianity, we need to be praying for these unreached people. Um, what I mean by that is unreached in terms of our support and our care. So to pray intensely for something really means that from your heart, you're deeply concerned about it. Not just from the intellect, from the mind. You know you should pray and so you do, but no, it, it, it comes from your heart where you're moved with compassion and emotion for the need that is there. You remember me telling you this story a couple of times, actually, but it, it's had such a powerful impact in my life. When I was a short-term missionary in Hong Kong, I remember waking up uh, one night uh, in the middle of the night. It was early morning hours. And I can remember having this intense impression on my heart that somebody I loved was about to take their own life. 
And I shared with you, of course, that when I got back, and by the way, I earnestly prayed, but when I got back to Canada and when I was talking with that loved one, I found out that uh, approximately, as far as I could tell time-wise, they were actually contemplating with a weapon uh, already in their hands about taking their own life. But prayer... But prayer made the difference there, you see. And here the church is intensely involved. So that's the good news. They were intensely involved emotionally. They were connected. They were caring for their brother in Christ. They were praying for him with deep earnesty. But there's some bad news here today, too, and that is that they were slipping in their faith. Because in the midst of their asking God to do this miracle, I... I get the impression that they really didn't think it was going to happen. And why do I say that? Well, let's listen to their idea here, or my idea of slipping faith. Verse 13 to 17, it says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance. He had left the prison, realized that an angel had set him free, went right away to the house, knocked on the door. Rhoda, servant girl, came to the door, recognized Peter's voice, and she was so overjoyed and so excited, she ran back, slammed the door. (laughs) This is the humorous part, I think. She slammed the door, ran back in, and said, Peter's at the door. I I relate to this because my little sister, uh, she was born about 12 years difference, and uh, when, when she was born, I can remember uh, coming home and, and she would be so excited to see me. She called me Bubby and she would say, Bubby's here, Bubby's here and shut the door and leave me standing outside. So I kind of get what was happening here in Rhoda's excitement. But Peter was there and they said, no, you're crazy, you're crazy. It's his angel. He's already been put to death. And that's where I get this idea that they were doubting, they were lacking in their faith. And so Peter motioned with his hand in verse 17 for them to be quiet. And he described to them what the Lord had done. Peter was in jail for a week, and he wasn't released until the very night before his planned execution. You know, my wife and I were missionary candidates to uh, Hong Kong. And I can remember our uh, missionary leader telling us as we were preparing to leave that sometimes the grace of God does not appear until we're at the airport. And I think sometimes that's true where where God is waiting for just that right moment that we could learn a very powerful lesson. And sometimes we have to look at how God answers our prayer in that way, that he's going to answer it, but it's at the last minute when it makes the most impact in our lives. Now, we can't box God in. He answers prayer in many different ways, but that could be one way. Vincent says that this guardian angel, according to the popular Jewish belief among the Jews, was that everyone had a guardian angel. And on an occasion, this angel would be visible. The appearance would happen. So they were saying that, no, it's his, it's his guardian angel. Ironside, another commentator, says the word was kind of uh, used for this concept of spirit. No, it's his spirit. He's already been executed and you're seeing his spirit. So they were thinking in their minds, you know, oh, poor Peter, he's been, uh, he's been executed, he's gone. Uh, God didn't answer our prayer. But in verse 9, we're told that he himself thought he was in a vision. And yet then he realized afterwards that it really was an angel that was letting him out here. My friend, this is kind of nominal faith, I think. They did not really expect to see the miracle, or if they did, they were wavering in their belief. It was the last hour of the night sort of idea before the death, and they were kind of giving up. They started out believing quite strongly because they were earnestly praying, but for some reason they seemed to be slipping in their faith. When you pray and ask God for something, and when His grace finally answers it, 
don't be surprised. Don't think that there must have been a mistake somewhere. For God has been at work all along through your prayers. Faith is just not this feeling that comes into our life sometimes. I, ho I hope he will. I know he will. I think he can. Faith is not psyching ourselves up like that. Faith is believing in the most powerful source in the world, God. And out of this world, of course. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. Faith apprehends the real fact of what is revealed to our senses. Faith is being able to believe even when everything says we shouldn't believe. I told you the story a while back, friends, about when I was searching for an office space here in Lloydminster and how for, I think it was two years, I had been looking and I just wasn't finding what I thought was the right place. And so a colleague friend of mine had offered me to use her space uh, when she wasn't using it. And that really helped me out for a couple of years. But when it came down to finally finding a place, I, I did. I found a place that I thought, this is perfect. This, God, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And I said, Lord, you know, give me this space, Father. Let, let this be uh, something that's going to happen for me. And I called the realtor, went and looked at it. And yeah, it was great. And I was sitting in her office and I had a pen in my hand and I was about to sign the lease when the phone call came in and another realtor shared with her, hey, it's already gone. We rented it. We leased it out. And it was just, I was so just shocked by that, but also so let down and so disappointed. I really felt like God had let me down. And when I went home, I shared this with my wife, and she said, you know, just trust God. Sometimes he closes doors and opens windows. And, you know, obviously today, the office space that I'm in, it's just perfect. It's just, it's more than what I could have even asked for. God is so gracious. I just needed to believe and not doubt. Is there some unbelievable situation in your life today? something that you don't think can ever happen, and yet there's a twinge of faith there where you're hoping it could happen, with a friend, a work situation, a release from financial bondage, physical healing, growth of your church, extension of your church. Friends, whatever it is, remember, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. You see, if you could see it, it's, it's not faith. Faith comes when you can't see it. So we need to learn how to trust him and really believe that he is at work. And that brings us to our third and significant ending point here is that we will see significant results. While the believers were praying, God was working. Even in the midst of their failing faith, God was at work. And this truly is the grace of God in our life. Even when we don't deserve the answer, God brings it to pass in our life. Even when we're totally living in doubt or an apprehension that it's not going to happen, and God does it. That's his grace, dear friends. So in verse 18, we read those words, there was no small disturbance. God will always bring excitement into the world when a miracle takes place. And miracles still happen today. I believe they do. What's the miracle that you're searching for? What's the miracle that God has laid on your heart and that he's asking you to believe him for today? Friends, there was specific prayer. Let's get on our knees. Let's remember one another in prayer. Let's pray for our church, for our community, for our city, for our world. Let's earnestly pray for the needs in our world. They had slipping faith. Let's be on guard with one another that we don't doubt. Let's believe with all our hearts and our minds that God is going to bring to pass. And then in the end, 
we will see great, significant results. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your good work. I do believe that you are at work. I do believe you are answering prayers. And I do believe, Father, we need to have faith and trust you. So bring that into our hearts today, Lord, that we might have faith to believe whatever it is right now that we need faith to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Thank you.